Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. In this podcast, we are going to interview researchers from Pulse Academia and Industry about their work, thoughts, spectrum, and more beyond that. This is Marwa Edwini, and I hope you will find this podcast useful. If you would like to connect with us, simply send us, and we will be happy to hear from you. And here is my interview. Thanks. Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. Could you please introduce yourself? Uh, hi, uh, my name is Yu Shi. Uh, I'm a postdoc from MIT Computer Science Artificial Intelligence Lab. I study soft robotics, uh, variable stiffness arms, and uh, uh, dexterous robotic manipulation. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, I would like to go back when you were a child. Do you have any memories about you interested in science or technology? If you remember any memories about that. Uh, yes, I. Well, I was a child. Yeah, I'm super uh, excited about uh, the general science and the technology. Uh, one example I remember is about the about uh, electronic uh, components. Uh, I like to catch eel uh, for food <laughs> during the summer in the evening, and I needed to take some uh, flashlight to find the eels. Uh, so I have a bunch of uh, flashlight, and yeah. some of them broken. Yeah, because their lack of uh, the uh, the battery is lack of uh, sulfuric uh, acid. So I just uh, uh, disassemble the broken flashlight and uh, get this battery and refill the sulfuric uh, acid, and then I put a circuit to connect off this battery and to reassemble a super powerful uh, flashlight. Wow. Uh, yeah, this one example. Another example is uh, uh, mechanisms. I'm also uh, very interested about these uh, mechanisms. I have, uh, when I was a kid, I liked the toy guns, the BB guns uh, very much. And I have a very big box of uh, the toy guns. And some of them get uh, broken, because one part is uh, more function. Uh, what I do is I disassemble the toy guns and select the best uh, functioning part from the uh, broken gun, uh, toy gun, and then assemble together to formulate uh, super powerful uh, toy guns. Yeah, wow. generally, I like this kind of mechanism and surface very much. And uh, yeah, I dreamed to be a scientist when I was a child. Well, that, that's very interesting as a child, yeah. So, yeah, that's great. So, what's the first robot you built? I, I assume you have a lot of expertise as a kid. So, what's the first robot, actual robot you encounter? Is uh, what, yeah. Uh, so, uh, the first soft robots actually seen, I built in my uh, PRD uh, study. But I have uh, a lot of experience about like uh, autonomous control system close to a robotic systems during my uh, undergraduate study. Uh, when I was a sophomore, I, I like these microcontrollers, uh, electronic components very much. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I have a, a lot of these electronic components. Uh, and I bought these components uh, in, my, uh, in my apartment and I just tested it. One day, I uh, bring a big box of these electronic components, microcontrollers, uh, to uh, to the associate chair of our department, and I told him, 
I, I want to apply for a project. And I showed him my passion, my experience, and he agreed. So I get the first project uh, with 5,000 Chinese dollars, uh, which is built for a control system to uh, control the water quality for fish tanks. Uh, basically, it has a microcontroller, has a few uh, sensors, like the uh, sensor for pH value, uh, temperature, dissolved oxygen concentration, uh, and it has a few actuators, like the air pump, uh, to add the dissolved oxygen, and uh, another actuator uh, for the valve to control the, uh, refresh the water. So it's basically an automation control system with microcontrollers. Uh, yeah, this is how I get started with this, uh, yeah. yeah, the journey. And uh, uh, same thing, since then, I, yeah, I just uh, very super excited about this uh, automation control system. And mm -hmm. the, the first robot I built is uh, uh, during my first year PhD study at Ohio State University, uh, I built a soft robotic hand with five fingers. Uh, each finger has uh, embedded uh, shape memory alloy actuators yeah. and uh, piezo uh, elect electric uh, transducer, transducer flexure sensors for feedback. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, both of them feel pretty cool because yeah. I can uh, program either the software or the hardware, the material. I can program them and uh, they will uh, react to the uh, external stimuli according to my plan. So I, yeah, I'm super excited. It just kind of uh, opened a new door for me. Mm -hmm. I feel, uh, yeah, very excited about this kind of uh, uh, systems. Mm -hmm. I can feel the passion, of course, from your words. But I would like to stop again for how you encounter uh, soft robotics, since you say that you have been building uh, for finger actuators. But the first encounter for soft robotics, how, how you came across soft robotics? Mm, the first time, uh, yeah, it's still in my PhD study the first year, because we, I talked with my advisor, uh, we are going to build a, a robotic hand. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we, we knew we, uh, the next generation robots will have physical interactions with human and we want to make sure the hand we made will be uh, safe. So I discussed with my advisor, uh, maybe we can make something uh, soft instead of like a traditional reach the fingers, reach the hand. So we, we say, okay, maybe we can try some, something soft. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's how I get started with the softer robotics. Great, yeah. So if I ask now from your expertise, how you would define soft robotics? There are a lot of definition, but what is the best definition from your expertise that can, you can tell us about? Uh, in my perspective, uh, it has two, um, two, two major things. Mm -hmm. First, it has to be an intelligent robot system that has uh, like actuators, uh, sensors, uh, controllers, can uh, automatically uh, respond to the environment stimuli. Uh, second, it should be have a large mechanical compliance and it can deform significantly, but still uh, well-functionally. So yeah, that's my feel, yeah. Mm -hmm, that's great. So if I ask you again for this question, I think it's very important for students. What is the most important question you have to consider while you work with robotics? If you're in research, what's you think the most important question you have to fully consider? 
uh, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I think of this for a long time, actually, I saw this, uh, yeah. I feel one of the very big uh, problem is to find the uh, character applications, the right mm -hmm. applications, uh, because uh, soft robots, for sure, it brings a lot of great advantages, like safety for interactions, uh, uh, friendly to the environment, but it, it cannot solve everything. It has some limitations. We need to find the character application. Uh, I feel some people study the uh, medical care uh, using the soft robots. I think that's a great uh, start. Yeah, and, and we needed to yeah, specify uh, the right applications with soft robots. And I think it's important and difficult. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, if I ask you what is the most inspiring love career, I'm asking this question why? Because I think there is a lot of opportunities. And specifically, if we speak about what kind of material we can use, if we have to advance material functionalities or looking for new materials or just using the combination of frigid and soft material. So what do you think maybe in the nature could be inspiring and we can help us in understanding and create better soft robotic system? Mm. From my perspective, uh, elephant trunk is the most uh, inspiring uh, organ, uh, yeah, creatures because uh, on one hand, it is soft. Uh, on the other hand, it is super powerful, it is very strong. I think the soft robots should uh, follow this kind of uh, category. We build some robots which is soft enough uh, for safe interactions with human. On the other hand, it should have the capability to uh, do some challenging tasks. For example, we at least we can uh, have the robots pick up some objects and place it somewhere else. Yeah, just kind of a peak place task or uh, assembly task uh, that require the manipulator can hold something. So yeah, I, I feel uh, elephant trunk is great. It's soft and strong. And I think uh, mm, soft robots, mm. if, if it has these uh, both features will be great. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I think when I, I look for you that you're interested in surgical modeling and control, dynamic control. So if you can tell us more about your work and how do you see your work can advance soft robotics? And maybe something could be missing because we, we speak a lot about modeling uh, and soft robotics. So, and it's challenges, of course. So if you can tell us more about your work as a robotics for our audience. Uh, sure. Uh, yeah, I, I'd like to, uh, I'd love to talk about this uh, topic, yeah. Uh, I study soft, robot, ro soft robotics uh, mostly in the design and perception perspective. Uh, mm -hmm. From the design perspective, I, uh, as I mentioned, I, I'm looking for some mechanism that can integrate the softness and hardness together. So mm -hmm. I study variable stiffness on and uh, uh, hybrid rigid soft robots. Uh, for the variable stiffness uh, arms, I, I, I designed a few prototypes uh, with, with the, which can continuously uh, change its stiffness from a soft mode to the rigid mode. Uh, the rigid mode can be used for the application require high performance like the position control or force control. 
the soft mode can be used for safe interactions with human. Mm. So yeah, that's one thing I did. Another thing is uh, the uh, hybrid uh, rigid soft robots. Uh, I designed exoskeleton carved grippers, uh, exoskeleton carved exoskeleton carved soft robotic grippers, and uh, uh, um, skeleton embedded soft robotic hand. So it's also hybrid with rigid components and soft components. And I, uh, yeah, I would like these rigid components provide a powerful uh, output, like a grasping force. And the soft part provides uh, inherent safety for interactions with human. Mm -hmm. uh, another major direction I study is uh, perception. I feel uh, embedded vision sensors is a good uh, candidate for uh, soft robot perception because uh, soft robots, they have infinite degree of freedom. Uh, they have very complex uh, deformation, uh, but a vision sensor can provide very rich and high resolution uh, image data. I think it's very good or fit for the a complex deformation for soft robots. So I've, yeah, so I study embedded vision sensors for uh, soft robots perception. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I also have some study on the modeling. Um, yeah, but this is also kind of uh, in the category of uh, design. So my major study is on the design and perception for soft robots, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, very interesting. I th if we can break again for our audience, I think you work in two important lines, for example, I think it's still challenging to combine different material, to have multi-material uh, actuator, for example, what you mentioned. And maybe if we can focus in the first point, what are the challenges of um, integrating uh, different material, like compliant stiff material to have certain behavior? If you can tell us more about the challenges and what you're looking up, up, up against uh, uh, like antagonistic design of have compliant and stiff material, what is something you thought that could be beneficial in designing soft robotics with different material? Um, so definitely, I think um, it's great to integrate uh, different material together, uh, such that we have different properties uh, for the robots. Mm -hmm. uh, the challenges I had is uh, how can we, uh, have these different material together, but still have the original function. For example, uh, I the exoskeleton covered the soft gripper I developed. So I have the exoskeleton is the rigid part. It is supposed to provide very powerful grasping force, uh, but uh, the empirical result is not as good as I expected because mm -hmm. there's many uh, unexpected. Uh, factors there will affect the performers. Uh, for example, the uh, I have like a cable driven this exoskeleton. There are many frictions that I didn't expect it. Also the soft gel that was covered by this exoskeleton itself had some, uh, how do you say, it, you, you can't bend in too much because the soft, the soft gel was uh, embedded in the I mean, fit in the uh, exoskeleton, so it creates create some resistance for the uh, exoskeleton to uh, 
to function to functioning well. So uh, the challenging is like you have different material, it, it kind of uh, affect each other and uh, uh, it's difficult to uh, have its original function 100%. Uh, so needed to find some way integrate it together, but uh, still improve the function individual, individually, yeah. That's interesting also. And I think maybe if you, I can ask you about this modeling part, how come, mo because we have a lot of discussion sometimes modeling is, is really complex sometimes and challenging. But if I ask you in terms of designing, uh, and first you have a design and you try to understand the, the physics behind it, so, and come up with a model, what do you think the most important uh, parameter you have to consider? Or the outline, what, what do you think is very significant for you we need to design uh, such actuator with different material. Uh, for the modeling, uh, the most important parameters. Um, yeah, so for my experience, uh, I feel the model has two uh, major uh, function. Uh, first, it will give me the guidance uh, to how what kind of parameter I should select. For example, the the the, the weight, the width, the, the length, the the height. Uh, I have a model, and uh, I have a desired uh, output. Say I needed this payload. I needed this soft robot to pick up this payload. So I have this requirement, and I have a model. Then I can uh, use the inverse model to uh, find the correct dimensions for this robot. Uh, another. Another uh, function for the modeling is to be uh, in to be integrated for the controllers. We can based on this model, we can develop a model-based controller uh, to do the uh, like position control or uh, force control based mm -hmm. on this model. So, um, for me, the models has these two major function. The most important parameter for these models, I feel. Uh, it depends on the application. For example, uh, we had an application uh, like uh, physical human robot interaction. We want to minimize the impact force. Mm -hmm. So if we have this requirement there, then the mass or the inertia is the most uh, significant uh, parameter in the model. And the stiffness will be the second important parameter to uh, affect this uh, the, the requirement, the physical human robot interaction. Yeah, that's, so that's, that's my feeling. That's great, yeah. And for the second part, sensing. If you can tell us about how we can, uh, you, you thought about design sensor, because I think that's something we had also in other episodes about the, the challenge about designing sensor for software, software robots. Uh, how do you see um, the current design sensor? Do you think we still have to advance uh, uh, the resolution of the sensing for the robot. Uh, how we design sensors for soft robots? Yeah, this yeah this is a very challenge because I feel a sensor is a um, a big challenge for soft robots because soft robots can have very complex shape and uh, yeah it's, it's difficult to measure all of the state. Uh, so the sensor, I feel. Uh, it also kind of two categories. One category is some people only care about the end effector, 
then we can, if we have this uh, requirement, say we only care about the end point, the end effector, then we may have some a little bit uh, simpler uh, sensor. For example, mm -hmm. kind of uh, infrared uh, sensor, we can just estimate the end, end point. Uh, for most cases, we want to uh, know, we want to estimate the shape of the soft robots then this will be will create create some challenges. Uh, as far as uh, until now, I still feel the embedded vision sensor, which I'm currently studying, is one of the great uh, potential solution for this uh, shape estimation, because the soft robot they may have like spatial deformation in 3D, and have inflections. A traditional sensor like the uh, piezo flexure sensor, mm -hmm. uh, as as far as for I knew, they only provide like a constant. Uh, they can estimate the deformation with a constant curvature. Uh, if any deformation complex than that, uh, they won't be able to provide the uh, estimation of the shape. Mm -hmm. So I feel, uh, yeah, vision is a good. Um, is a good uh, solution, either embedded inside of the uh, soft robots or like a global vision sensor, you can get uh, the full state estimation for the shape of the soft robots. Yeah, that's my, yeah, my personal viewpoint. That's really two excellent points. Um, I would like to thank you for being clear about that. And I think I, think I agree with you. I agree with uh, that sometimes, and that's leads to another question. Uh, do, you, do you think, at, as we are in the field, we fully understand the physics behind either smart material or I think because that's something we ask, do you think the community have to focus for designing a smart material? Because we know there's a limitation in the current smart material like ionic conductive polymer or IBMC. But coming back to your, your statement, what you said earlier, I think that's a question. Do you think when we focus on the end of picture, because sometimes we focus on the end of picture and neglecting the dynamics happening along over the special domain. And of course it would be complex if we speak about uh, anisotropic material and high nonlinear, so it's more complex. So. so maybe if we can answer the question, do you think we understand the physics behind the smart material or software? Uh and yeah, I think uh, yes and no. <laughs> uh, definitely, we uh, we have some uh, understanding on uh, mechanics or energy modeling of some of the smart material, like the uh, shape memory alloys, uh, piezoelectric materials, and the magnetostrictive materials. Yeah, we knew the uh, mechanics and the energy modeling for this material, but. Um, it is difficult to argue that this material can represent all smart material. And it is also difficult to argue that uh, these mechanics or modeling we learned can represent everything of this kind of material. Uh, it's just like uh, we uh, touched the air of an elephant. Uh, for sure, we knew something about the ear of the elephant, but we can't say we knew everything about this elephant. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's my feel. So I feel we have some understanding, but it's not the entire, entire we, we do not understand the entire physics about the uh, smart materials. Mm -hmm. uh, I think this question we have also the broadcast sometimes, we, ask, uh, we, we saw that in soft robotics, 
it's generally a very slow response of bandwidth and we have maybe high mechanical performance. There's always a trade-off between the mechanical performance and the response time. So what, do you think how we can reach high mechanical performance and high bandwidth? Why is this also a trade-off in soft robotics? And why this, is, this, is this limitation uh, comes from? It's come from understanding, modeling, design. Uh, yeah, uh, this is a mm, very challenging question. <laughs> I'm not sure if I can uh, uh, find a good answer. So a uh, trade-off between the uh, slow response and the high mechanical uh, performance. Yeah. Yeah, as far as I know, uh, the piezo is kind of, uh, uh, this piezo uh, electrical material is kind of in this category. It provides high force, but uh, the, the, the performance is not good. Very, very, very small uh, displacement, very small output. Yeah. And uh, shape, memory, shape memory alloy is another example. If we are using the shape memory alloy strip, we can get a very uh, high grasping force, but the response time is very mm -hmm. slow. Uh, yeah, some material I uh, started before the smart material, you have these trade-offs. I think the way we do how we uh, solve this problem is we add some external uh, stimuli. So mm -hmm. if we rely on the material itself, it has this trade-off. Uh, so we, it's difficult to uh, have high bandwidth and high performance simultaneously if we're using the purely material itself. What do we do? We add a little bit of uh, external uh, material, external uh, components. For example, for the shape memory alloy, we use the uh, resistant wire, which we can increase the temperature uh, very fast. And some people using uh, the water uh, to cool down the shape memory alloy. So mm -hmm. by using external uh, stimuli, we can somehow improve the bandwidth and also have this uh, good performance. Yeah, I feel maybe we can uh, try to uh, add some external uh, stimuli to overcome the uh, disadvantage from the material itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think also maybe if someone is listening, maybe it could be advantageous for certain application, but I think that's something we see in the robotics and still limitation. So maybe I can ask you whether any direction you thought would work out very well, but maybe when you're doing the experiment, you, you see something else. I think you said that earlier, but if you can tell more about what kind of uh, something in modeling you thought would work as you expected in the modeling, but in experiment was really surprising for you or interesting. Yeah, uh, I think this happens a lot. <laughs> uh, but my personal experience is not in uh, that extreme. Mm -hmm. uh, what happens is usually I would expect uh, this solution can provide a very good result, but the experimental result turns out not as good as I expected. Yeah, I have many, many this kind of experience. Uh, for example, uh, uh, when I designed this uh, wireball stiffness manipulator, uh, wireball, wireball stiffness arms, uh, I checked, I briefly checked the simple me mechanics and I, I knew, I feel a shape morphing 
will be a good uh, candidate to uh, have a very large uh, variation of the variable stiffness. And I designed uh, two type of, uh, two kinds of uh, variable stiffness arms using this shape morphing concept. But uh, the result is not uh, as good as I expected. The major reason is uh, the, the mechanism to, to, to do this shape morphing will uh, destroy the boundary condition that, uh, uh, that for the original setup, which I didn't expect uh, in the very beginning. So I feel something, uh, some problems just hiding somewhere uh, before you actually dig into the problem. So yeah, that's one example. Another example is just, uh, as I mentioned before, for the exoskeleton carved softer robotic gripper. Uh, so I intuitively, intuitively speaking, I feel uh, the exoskeleton, which is a rigid part, should provide very powerful grasping force. But it turns out uh, it's not as large as I expected, uh, although it is still good, but not as high as I expected. Mm -hmm. The reason is like they have many frictions in the system and I didn't expect it in the very beginning. So yeah, is that all, I think these kind of things always happen. I have very high expectation for this solution, but the result turns out uh, not that good, but still kind of work, yeah. Yeah, that's great. And I think maybe student asked us a question again about the modeling because you work in that. Which level of modeling do you think in soft robotics we have to go for? I'm asking this question again because I think, as we know, there's three levels you can go for. Is a micro, or macro, or microscopic. And I don't know what you think we have to consider if you have to fully understand the system. Which level you have to dig in, in the, to describe the system? Of course, taking account that sometimes it's, of course, computationally expensive, but we're talking about here about design uh, soft system that could be replicable and reproducible as well. So which level of modeling do you have to go for? Or do you have to merge uh, two different scale of modeling? If you can answer that question. Mm, yeah, so I feel, uh, actually I'm not very sure the three scale of the modeling, but the, the modeling I, uh, I experienced is the like macro, not macro. I mean the uh, say, the size with, uh, say, 50 millimeter, yeah. But uh, style I experienced a lot, and uh, I feel it is very helpful for me. Mm -hmm. uh, well, on one hand, uh, we can design the soft robots based on this model, because whenever you give me some requirement, uh, say you want to have this payload, you want to have this performance, you want uh, this robot can provide uh, how much force you need. Then I just uh, uh, have this model to calculate the parameters I need to design this uh, robot. Either the, the like the, uh, the 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 inertia material of this uh, robot, the stiffness range, the the mass range, or mm -hmm. the width, the length, uh, yeah, the cross section, something like that. Uh, if you have this model, then you can. Uh, Whenever a requirement given to you, you can design uh, a yeah. robot uh, accordingly. And also, 
uh, as I mentioned before, it also can be integrated in the controller to do model-based control. I feel at, in this, at least in this level, I feel it is very helpful. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. Uh, if we can switch again above for defining intelligence, uh, how you would define intelligence in robotics context and to which levels are developed soft robotics or intelligent? So maybe we can uh, answer the first part. What do you uh, think about intelligence uh, in soft robotics? Mm, so uh, the first thing is like, uh, the first question is like uh, mm, the definition of intelligence. Yeah, from your uh, perspective. I see. Uh, that's something you consider. Yeah, it's intelligent <laughs> robot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, got it. Uh, I think people uh, have different opinions about intelligence, and mostly I feel there's two categories, mm -hmm. uh, including the artificial intelligence and the mechanical intelligence. Mm -hmm. uh, if we are talking about the artificial intelligence, I think uh, it will be a, a robotic system has has the ability of uh, wrestling and uh, perception wrestling and uh, uh, updating itself and uh, uh, it can formulate the solutions automatically to respond external uh, stimuli even there's some uncertainties and unseen situations mm -hmm. uh, for the mechanical intelligence uh, based on the material uh, I, I the articles I read before, my understanding is um, either a little bit downgrade. The mechanical intelligence is that uh, a material or mechanism can be programmed with the hardware prototype instead of uh, uh, the software uh, algorithms. So the material or the, ma the material or the mechanism itself is able to respond to the physical stimuli. Yeah, this is just mm -hmm. my personal uh, personal viewpoint, yeah. That's interesting. Uh, uh, again, thank you for being clear about that point. And I think maybe this question is related here about, uh, do you think as me you said mechanical intelligence and uh, do you think in the community we have to move from using passive material to more embodied intelligence? So if we have mechanical intelligence, do, do you think that's something we have to focus more in the community? Uh, Actually, here even the embodied intelligence. I feel people people have different uh, definition. I feel uh, at MIT here uh, when we talk about embodied intelligence, they are talking about the software. They are talking about the algorithm. But I feel somewhere else they are talking about the embodied intelligence is like physical or mechanical intelligence. So mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure which one are you referring to. Yeah, I think of the basic idea if we have the brain and we don't have the body, and if you have a brain only without body, you can't function. I think this uh, integration between the, the, our bodies and brain, and I think that's a good example for intelligence. But, and, and I think the same in soft robotics, if you have a smart material that could work as actuator and sensor at the same time, and getting rid of, of the mechanical parts or hardware parts, uh, that's that's something I don't know how you see it in our field. If you speak about mechanical intelligence and be responsive to stimulus, uh, um, yeah, and, and I think that's something we don't have in passive material. You have, uh, yeah, I don't know how how you see uh, this uh, strides in in um, designing mechanical intelligence or morphology uh, morphology as well. How we design intelligent morphology. Mm. 
I feel uh, actually both important. Either you can uh, mm -hmm. achieve the function by, 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 by like uh, the brain or uh, the body. Uh, I feel both of them are important. And if if they have question, uh, both can solve this problem. Then I feel um, maybe select the one that easier to be implemented. I, yeah, I do not have like a preference to each one, but I feel, yeah, whenever or whichever is it to be implemented. Yeah. 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 And for the emotion, do you, do you think that something, because I, I don't know what, what your thought about that design robot that can feel pain. And, I, and we discussed this in the podcast as well, that pain is something we can't really uh, explain. It's just, it is, I think it's, uh, personal experience, you can feel pain with other people. So, do you think that's something true that we can make robots can feel pain? Uh, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Uh, one thing I'm currently studying is the embedded uh, tactile sensors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one thing we, we want to uh, use this tactile sensor to uh, mimic the how. Uh, the human fingers, uh, uh, the perception mm -hmm. of the human fing uh, fingers. Uh, so that's of of course. Uh, you first we need to have a good sensor. Second, we want to have enough data to uh, to uh, uh, training the emotions. And I feel, uh, yeah, I think that if we have enough data, we have this good sensor. We can have the emotions trained in the. In, in the robot to feel uh, either pain or temperature or feel, mm -hmm. yeah, feel the environment uh, from the sensor. I feel it's possible, I, I think it's possible. Ask you uh, for the sensor again, I think that's something interesting for uh, our audience as well. Uh, do you think that's something if uh, selection for the sensor, for example, if you want to design sensor can feel the emotion, what kind of sensor do you think uh, we can design? Mm. Uh, the first sensor I feel important definitely the tactile sensor. <laughs> As you mentioned, um, people uh, interact with the world um, with uh, fingers, uh, with hand, and the tactile sensors. Uh, and for tactile sensor, there are many different uh, solutions. Uh, I'm currently studying the embedded vision, uh, vision tactile sensor, and I feel this is a good. Mm, one of good, one of the good uh, solution. Mm, mm -hmm. Other force sensor people use like array of uh, uh, like force sensor also has some advantage like the high bandwidth. So mm, for me, I still prefer the embedded vision sensor for I mean tactile sensors uh, with embedded vision, embedded cameras. I feel yeah. it's a good uh, it's a good interface between the robot and the environment yeah mm -hmm. great so for nonlinearities do, do you think that what kind of nonlinearities we have to keep or remove and i think that's a question we ask i like i'm curious to know what your answer about nonlinearities and soft robotics tend to bring opportunities and maybe it could be detrimental for soft robots so what kind of nonlinearities you can keep or remove for soft robots mm. Uh, actually, um, I feel it is difficult to remove the uh, 
the, the, the nonlinearities because, uh, for example, we are studying this serial uh, uh, manipulator with seven degree of freedom. It has very high uh, nonlinearities. Uh, sometimes we, uh, but we can still control this uh, manipulator even with this nonlinearity. We have some controllers like uh, feedback minimization of this nonlinearity uh, uh, to design the controllers. Uh, for soft robots, I think it is the same, uh, the same thing. For example, we can concede these soft robots as a continual robots with uh, infinite degree of freedom uh, segments and joints connected together. Then we will, if we formulate these dynamics for this continual robot with infinite joints, uh, yeah, it's just kind of, uh, uh, how do you say, redundant redundant continual robot, and we can design controllers uh, to have this robot to perform as what we expected. And yeah, uh, yeah so I feel it's just a, a natural way, just like the uh, zero elastic, zero uh, redundant robots. So I feel, mm. yeah, I feel that's how we control robots, yeah. yeah. I think that's a good point as well, and I would like to mention again, we had the first soft robotics debate and with the title about uh, how the controller can get the task done without destroying the natural dynamics and whether we have to advance the traditional control techniques we have and how could be morphology uh, computation can advance the control design. What could be the most important parameter, uh, morphological parameter that we can consider in design uh, controller for sub-robot. So how, how do you see that? Uh, because I think some guests say that, no, we are biased and we think that uh, the control can, can destroy the natural dynamics and they manage to get the task they want. And other guests say that we can use distributed uh, control, modular control techniques. So we focus on such point in, in, in the special domain of the sub-robot. And, uh, and my first experience sometimes I saw that the you force soft uh, material, especially anisotropic and, and uh, high nonlinear material to certain behavior like bending. And, and, and sometimes I think you don't, you don't really, just forcing a material to behave in a certain way, but you don't understand uh, uh, the, the changes happening in the material. It's not the same every time because of the nature of the material. So how do you see the control techniques we developed for soft robotics recently? Are you satisfied with them? Do you think we don't have to look for advancing the control design? Or how do you see this sort of technique? I feel uh, no matter in the recent controllers or traditional controllers, essentially how the robot work is to mm. apply the actuation to the uh, to the joint, for example, I still consider these uh, soft robots with infinite degree of freedom segments and the joints. So the way how it works is to apply the actuation to each joint. So in this sense, I feel there's no significantly difference between the traditional controllers to the uh, and the uh, resonant controllers, distributed controllers, because both of them apply the actuations to the joints, and I don't think it will, I mean, the, the word destroy may be not appropriate. For mm -hmm. sure, the, for sure the controller will uh, affect the dynamics, nature dynamics for soft robots because uh, 
we can use a simple parameter to consider the nature dynamics, is, which is the nature frequency. Uh, the nature frequency is affected by the uh, configuration, uh, the stiffness, and the inertia of the soft robots. If we apply very high gain on the uh, joint, the robot becomes very stiff, then the nature frequency uh, uh, increased or affected. affected. So the nature dynamics of soft robots uh, affect, get affected significantly, for sure. But I think that's the way how we control robots, just like the traditional robots. As I mentioned, the uh, redundant uh, zero uh, robots, that how we control these kind of robots, we can control the, we can modulate or tune the control parameters. We can design controllers to make sure the robot uh, the soft robots can still perform uh, mm -hmm. as like a pretty passive way or like the uh, yeah. uh, very nature way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that's my, yeah, that's my personal feeling. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for this answer. Yeah. And if I ask you what is the biggest technological roadblocks for soft robotics in short term and long term from your expertise? Uh, so for the short term, I feel the uh, precise control is one of the uh, challenge, uh, the barriers we need to overcome because it is important and also it's difficult. Uh, for precise control, we usually, I mean, for control of the soft robots, we either use like a model-based controller or sensor-based controller, uh, but neither the model or the sensor is easy for soft robots. So the uh, controller for soft robots is difficult, but it is very important because the ultimate goal uh, to develop a robot is to help us to do manipulation tasks. For example, mm -hmm. we can place assembly. So I feel, yeah, it, uh, the control, uh, precise control of soft robots uh, is very important but it's difficult. Yeah, so that's one thing I think is in the near future. Uh, yeah, it's important that uh, short-term uh, barriers uh, for, this, uh, uh, for this topic. For the long-term, uh, for the long-term goal, I still feel the, um, to find the appropriate application is still one of the uh, important thing and the difficult thing to do. Um, we, I think we already have uh, people in soft robotics community already have many good technologies uh, in design, modeling, uh, control, perception. Uh, we have developed a good technologies in soft, uh, soft robotics. But uh, for me, it's still not very clear about uh, which application will, be, will make some great impact, which yeah. particular yeah, directions uh, is good for the software robot application. So I feel, yeah, to find the right application is one of the uh, important thing and the difficult thing for, uh, yeah, for long-term uh, goal, yeah. Great, yeah. We have a few questions left, and I think this question related to what we say earlier, how we ensure that software robotics will be beneficial uh, to humanity. I think uh, you will be behind soon. Uh, I, I think this question will come up when you have a project. Uh, do you think you have to ask yourself 
how you develop soft robot that would be beneficial. Because sometimes that something happened, we, we designed certain project and we don't know what be the end goal, maybe in short term and long term. And maybe realistically speak about short term, but how you answer this question from your perspective. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. You know, many times uh, we start a project, we don't know the, the long term goal. We don't know how it benefits the society. We just want to do these things. So to ensure to uh, beneficial to the uh, whole, uh, to the human, uh, I think uh, <clears throat> one thing we can do is like we start from the application. So we we first uh, looking for some good task that widely uh, widely exist, existed in the uh, in in our society and we we need robots to help us to do this task like currently we 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 uh, in this pandemic uh, situation we want to minimize the, uh, like uh, uh, exposure to the public environment mm -hmm. and we want the robots to do some certain task like delivery or uh, teleoperation things. So we first start from the task uh, that uh, for sure it will help people to solve problems. Then we come back to find the technologies, to find the solutions. Then this is one way I think it will make sure it will be beneficial to uh, humanity. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. So I think this question is also related. Do you think universities, research group, and funding agency follow Pasteur's uh, quadrant where knowledge, this is a rule, I think uh, Professor George Boyd uh, mentioned that, and I think that was very interesting. Do you think that when we have the funding and uh, as a university and research group, we combine the knowledge and solution because sometimes it's a product driven or technology driven the, the whole project. How do you think about that? According to my experience, I feel it is true. Uh, it has both uh, technology and uh, uh, application. For my experience, either uh, some project may start from uh, fundamental research, and at some point, uh, we were looking for applications to solve uh, actual problems uh, in our daily life. And sometimes some art projects starting from uh, looking for the particular task and then come back to find the solutions, find the technologies. Either way, they will integrate both uh, fundamental research and the actual application. Yeah. yeah, so from my experience, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think also this question, because I think many students can listen to that. I think uh, in funding, uh, that's something we, we, we face all the time if you have high risk and low risk uh, project and and you need to have outcome from that and i don't know how you see how you see the risk assessment in your research because if you have innovative idea but you can't get results for the funding uh, or meet the funding expectations uh, do, do you have thought about that if a student uh, in a situation like that <laughs> um, my personal uh, do not have this kind of experience but my advisor always encourage us to do the difficult one. So mm. we have two potential solutions. One is kind of uh, uh, 
for sure we can get some uh, result, uh, but maybe not that decent. But another solution will be very difficult, um, but it's maybe uh, theoretical based or physical based, and uh, you, you definitely, uh, you potentially get a better result. If that's the case, my advisor will definitely suggest us to do the difficult one. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's my personal experience. <laughs> okay, that's interesting, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so maybe this question from a student as well. If, if a student is interested in having a startup about software robots, do you think it is visible for uh, maybe, if we speak about it recently, you can launch a product uh, behind software robotics? Uh, if you pick an idea, do you think this something could be visible to have a startup? Mm. Uh, actually, uh, sorry, I'm, I didn't get very clear about this problem. You mean more visible means uh, it's possible to get a success? Is this you? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Uh, mm, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's possible as long as we have a have good plan. Of course, my personal uh, I, my personal experience uh, is, has no uh, I, I have no experience on running company and product. But I feel it is possible because we knew there are so many startups uh, uh, like they uh, they get funding and some of them uh, get a good result, good product. So I think one important thing is to, I mean, the important thing to make the good product is to say for sure to find the actual need for the market. Mm -hmm. And then you make a good uh, product, uh, say you uh, concede everything uh, together in the very beginning, say including design, perception, control, planning, everything together, uh, and find the actual need for the market. I think it's possible to make a successful startup because I saw many uh, either friends or colleagues, they are starting from zero, uh, just uh, yeah, start from yeah. Like uh, uh, they graduated with a PhD degree and they found some uh, very interesting ideas and they uh, get some startup and get some funding. And now I think some of them successful. So I feel it is possible. Great. Yeah. So we have three questions left uh, for this interview. Do, do you think ego is important for the research? Uh, no, I don't think. Uh, I don't think ego is important. I feel diversity and inclusive are very mm -hmm. important. Uh, I know many successful researchers are very humble, uh, inclusive, and have very diversity group, and they are big lanes, and they are very successful researchers in the field. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, um, my advisor, my current advisor, Ted Ellison, uh, he is a very, he's a highly respected researcher in the field of vision, uh, vision science, uh, but he is super humble and inclusive. He always encourages us to uh, explore new solutions, uh, new ideas, and always support us in all aspects. Uh, and he's a successful researcher. So yeah, I don't think ego is important. Mm -hmm. Great, I agree with you. So if I ask you what are the most important quality you have gained while being in academia and something you have to maintain for your upcoming journey as well? Uh, uh, one thing I learned from my experience is uh, just do it. Don't think too much. Yeah. Many times I have too much concerns and the considerations before I get started. For instance, 
I'm afraid the design I proposed is not the best one. I'm afraid uh, the solution I proposed is, does not fit the actual applications. I, I'm afraid of this, I'm afraid of that, I get stuck. Mm -hmm. uh, so later, later I figured out, don't think too much, just, just do it. And uh, um, you will I will have better understanding and a better sense after I get started. Um, and um, I think we needed to accept that the first version of the work won't be perfect. So yeah, that's my, one of my uh, thoughts. Yeah, I, I really, um, I'm a strong advocate for, for this advice. I think that's the most important quality you have to be, you have to have in life, yeah. And if I ask you what is the best advice was given to you, was it personally or professionally, and was the life changing for you? Mm, yeah, I do have one. Uh, one of yeah. my uh, professor, professors uh, yeah, used to told me some uh, simple rules. I feel it's very helpful. Uh, every once in a while, um, people may need to make some very important decisions and these decisions may uh, change our life. Um, and I have a very simple rule to decide whether to do it or not. If I will regret for not doing it uh, 50 years later, then I will definitely do it. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think this rule helped me a lot. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So finally, do you have any final words of robotics community you would like to say? Uh, yeah, it is a great time to be working on the software robotics because mm -hmm. in addition to these traditional uh, approaches, we have a lot of new technologies like materials or learning-based uh, solutions to solve this very complex problem for soft robots, including this like perception, actuation, or control. Mm -hmm. And it's been my pleasure to be part of the software robotics community. That's great, yeah. Thank you once again. I really enjoyed this discussion and your answers. Uh, thank you once again for your time. It was a pleasure to have you. Thank, thank you. you very much. Thank you for, uh, for having me. Thank you. Thank you.